Every team, every topic, everywhere. This is Believe. One, two, three. It's a hard next life. It is a hard next life. A hard next life. Oh, it's a hard next life. It's a hard next life. It is a hard next life. A hard next life. Oh, it's a hard next What up, Knicks fans, and what is up, Barry motherfucking D? It has been an eternity. What's up, Craig? It has been a long time, longer than usual. We had been pretty steady on this uh, on these weekly shows, and a uh, little extra time has passed. I see Knicks fans tweeting and bloggers tweeting and other podcasts tweeting a lot, and I don't know about you, but I'm not just going to make shit up and talk about it. I feel right. guilty enough when we do like 50% of an episode and we're just talking about our you know, daily and ins and outs, and we're not talking basketball. So yeah, if a little extra time passes and we have a little bit more to digest, and let's face it, there's really nothing to digest. Dude, it's gotten so bad for basketball fans and Knicks fans. Think about this, that every Sunday night, I went to do the podcast this Sunday night, and you didn't want to do it because of fucking asshole Michael Jordan's Last Dance documentary. And that's what it's come to. I mean, that's crazy to me because I fucking hate that man. And now every Sunday night, we're all getting together in front of the TVs like it's a fucking national holiday. I'm really enjoying it. It's really good. It's oh, really good. Oh, by the way, we haven't done this in forever. I've just had my fucking headphones on full blast, so that's going to fuck up the whole recording. But I'm lowering it right now. Okay. Like, I appreciate are you sure it. you're good, by the way? <laughs> yeah, I'm perfect. All right. I mean, I say that, but I usually... <laughs> Who the <laughs> fuck like knows? Not. It's been two weeks. Exactly. Anything you're, I mean, there's like a 80% chance that your audio is fucked when you say right. it to me. Uh, whatever. But you're really enjoying Last Dance. Let's talk about it real quick. All what right. do you like about it? The music is amazing. Everybody loves <laughs> yeah, the fucking music. The music is really good. Everyone's you're all right. riled up about how good the music is. No, that's true. That's part of it. The The fact that Jordan has been as candid as he's been when he's recounting everything, I, I love it. I love the honesty he has. Hey, and- I love. You know what I love about him that I've been seeing about his honesty he likes to say motherfucker, and I like saying motherfucker or motherfucking, <laughs> right? That's right. What, yeah. what was his quote in the, uh, I don't know if it was the third or the fourth one, because they jumbled them all up together, but what did he say after he hit that shot to knock out Cleveland? He was like, any of you motherfuckers who aren't with me? Yo, or- the, the iconic shot when he jumps up in the air and he pumps his fist. The great little anecdotes that you, you don't always hear. Like, I never heard that story about how the, the beat reporters... Um, you know, that were in town covering that game. And like, you know, one of them had predicted that they were going to be out in, you know, in, in three games. Another one said in four. And, and then um, the last one that they were going to be out in five. And Jordan went up to them, them before the game and he said, I got you. I got you. And then he went up to the last one. And I'm getting you tonight. And he and he came through. You know, he's just a winner. I love that. I love, you know, we, we always saw him hugging the trophy after that first big win. And, in you know, in tears, right, in the locker room. And then you heard from the other players that they had never seen that side of him before because he, he was always angry. He was always competing. He never got 
to just let his guard down and actually enjoy everything that he worked for until that moment. And even the closest people around him had never seen him get to a point like that. So I, I, I love this shit. You know, it's, it, it's not all Michael Jordan, which I think is good. And it's not all Bulls. How about Rodman? Yeah. Trip to Vegas. I mean, I, we all, I think we all knew about that in general. Yeah, but, but I didn't know that, like, you know, f- it, it's different to, like, put actually a visual to it and have Phil Jackson and Dennis Rodman in an office, invite Michael Jordan in there, and the three of them are in there, and, and, and right in front of Dennis, Phil Jackson's trying to explain to Michael what Rodman wants to do. The fact he wants to take a 48-hour <laughs> vacation. Right. You know, and meanwhile, Jordan's like, if anybody needs a vacation, I need a vacation. And he says, he's yeah, not going to yeah. come back. And then, uh, yeah, sure enough, you know, Jordan's got to go drag him out of the, uh, the hotel room. And that, sh- that video of Rodman chugging that beer and then jumping on a motorcycle... Oh my god! Was that in the during the Vegas vacation? <laughs> yeah, because that was incredible in yeah. itself. Yeah, could you imagine a player doing that now? Oh, how have you been over these past couple of weeks? How's work still going? You worked yeah. late tonight. I worked three hours late tonight. We we closed at six o'clock. I stayed till nine. And what the fuck are you doing? Fixing bikes? No, I don't do repairs. But well, I. What? I got to line up like it's, so I'm off tomorrow. So I'm off one day a week. Sometimes I don't even take that day off, but I'm, I am taking it off tomorrow. What are you? So by the way, line. what are you? You're too good for repairs. Is that is that the deal? No, I'm not too is good for repairs. Somebody's got to help the people that walk through the you're door. Like, I don't do repairs. Yeah, but I, I don't know what you're doing after <laughs> hours. <laughs> you told me on the, you texted me and said that there have been you're not able to get to all your work. So yeah, I can't get enlighten to all my me. Work I'm sure there's the a day. lot of work beyond. Showing some pretty girls bicycles. Yeah, <laughs> there's plenty. I I gotta order stuff, but if customers are coming in all day long, you know, constantly, I can't get to the orders that I have to do. You know, paperwork piles up, office work piles up because I have to be that. The phones have been ringing off the hook, and there's so the many customers that between you and the other people in there, like you're all constantly helping people. Yes, yes, and it has not oh, died down. We're selling dozens of bicycles every day. Dude, before this whole coronavirus, I could walk into the bike shop. Yeah, and, and it's just you and me. And it's no offense; it's one of the most successful bike shops on Long Island. But yeah. I walk in; it's just us, right? Right. Um, and we can chat. And now it's insane. It is insane. I'm telling you, it has not died down. It's only going to continue to snowball, and we're going to get more backed up and more backed up. We have literally over a hundred bikes that we have already sold that we need to build to get in these people's hands. We have over 100 bikes that are in to be repaired. It's nuts. We're so backed up. And there's only so much you could do each day. You know, so and, and the weather hasn't really broken open yet. Once that happens, like I said, it's going to it's going to double the the amount of workload that we've got. And are the bikes all the same price or you have you jacked them up yet? No, we have not jacked them up at all at <laughs> all. And we're we're lucky to be able to get bikes and out of the companies are sold out of bikes because you know, most of the country, this is what's happening. People want bikes. So is this a good time to sell my own bikes? Probably. Probably not. People don't want your COVID-ridden shit. Oh, not to say shit. that you have it, but that's what they're thinking. I've been using this time on the weekends to clean out my house, dude. I threw out like 15 bags of garbage. Yeah, I painted a couple of rooms in the house already. I had to um, I had to set my wife straight the other day. Oh, fuck you. That's always a good idea. It's always a good time to do that. What happened? Yeah, she well, do? I think, well, I think I told you I've been doing the supermarket shopping, right? And, you know, yeah, my which, wife... which I find very offensive. I don't think it's right. And I've been thinking about talking to your wife about this. <laughs> well, it's fine. You know, and I said the reason is because I'm out it's in right. the public all the time anyway. So she figures you're already out. You know, why should I 
you know, why should uh, I put myself at the risk? risk? Yeah, exactly. you should put yourself at risk. <laughs> right. Like you put yourself at risk, and ninety percent of the time, you might as well go a hundred and keep me. Exactly. Which I think is crazy. That puts it's ve- it's so likely that you'll eventually. Get, what difference does it make, really? If you get it, everyone in your house is getting it. Right. Right. Because well, you're not going to know. We do what we can it, do. You know. And everybody she feels more comfortable staying home if I and I, if I go out. Yeah, so. You know, she likes there's certain it's weird because, you know, she likes her chocolate and this and that. By the way, before you go into this, my wife volunteers to go out and do everything just to get away from me. (laughs) (laughs) That sounds about right. (laughs) So, you know, there's certain things she does not like my kids to eat. You know, she wants to keep them semi healthy and a big no, no forever. Ever since I've married her, a big no, no is Pop Tarts. She thinks oh, Pop-Tarts are like so evil and that they're the worst <laughs> thing for you and that they're going to kill you. So, you know, and I like a Pop-Tart once in a while, but not since I married her. So for the past 15 years, you know, it's really been no Pop-Tarts for me. Well, anyway, I've been doing the supermarket shopping week after week. And every time I pass the Pop-Tarts in the aisle, I reach my hand <laughs> oh, out man. and I and I pull my hand back. I like slap my own hand. Oh, you're trained well, like a fucking obedient dog. Exactly. Man. Well... The last trip I made to the supermarket, I was passing those Pop-Tarts and I stopped and I said, you know what? These are unprecedented times that we're living in right now. And I said this to my wife when I came home with the two boxes of Pop-Tarts. I said, I'm not going to prevent myself from having something I want with everything going out in the world. I, I want a fucking Pop-Tart. I'm going to get myself a goddamn Pop-Tart. Well, Pop-Tarts aren't but the what? healthiest thing to eat. Exactly. No, this is my, my wife. Thing. She doesn't want the kids eating Pop-Tarts, so she doesn't want them in the house. Yeah, but she I mean, there's, your wife doesn't have more things to worry about than fucking pop tarts right now. Well, exactly. That was my treat. thought. Exactly. Right now, you know, what kind of desserts are allowed in your house. I want to know. Well, it doesn't make it. There's no rhyme or reason because she likes, like I said, she likes chocolate. So you know, God, you know, she, she, she'll she'll like to have like a Twix bar once in a while. Which how is that better than a pop tart? Pop tarts are so no. good. The way you, you toast them, right? You don't eat them right out of the box. Well, well, here's the thing. Yeah, in the morning, I toast it. But I'm watching The Last Dance the other night. Hold on. You're eating them for breakfast? Yeah, okay, I agree for with your wife sometimes. if that's true. You eat them for fucking breakfast, dude. That's awful. Once. Some days I'll have cereal. <laughs> Some days I'll have an English muffin. And yeah, the other day I had a Pop-Tart for breakfast. Okay, well, I'm on your wife's side now. You changed my whole tune. <laughs> but I'll tell you what. It was like 10 o'clock at night in between episodes three and four of The Last Dance. I was craving a little something. I went downstairs. I got myself a little maple brown sugar Pop-Tart. Is that your Raw, favorite one? Out of the package, no toast, no toast. That's and why would you do that? Oh, it was delicious. Don't you want that inside to get melty? It's so fucking sometimes, great. but it's good either way. And it was a great snack. We're all going to be so unhealthy after all this. There's nothing. Yeah, well, we you were do telling me you haven't been able to go to the gym and it's waning oh, on you, which is brutal. And when you don't do that, when you used to go like every day and then all of a sudden you'd never go. And when you're stuck bored in the house, you just eat. I'm working at home and I, I eat like I go to the fridge to just get cheese to eat like all day long. Mm-hmm. Um, my wife bakes cookies and then I'm eating cookies all day. Oh. Oh. Every night I have like a big bowl of M&Ms at like fucking midnight while I'm watching like <laughs> I, I've been watching Terrace House on fucking Netflix. Dude, have you do you know about this? No. If anybody that listens to this show watches it, they're going to lose a lot of respect for me, if they had any to begin with. Terrace House? Terrace House. It's a Japanese show. It's all in Japanese. It's subtitled. And it's basically like the real world, but Japanese style. Hmm. And it's basically just like these these Japanese people in Tokyo living in a house. Um, it's three guys and three girls. They're all trying to date each other. 
but they're all very proper and speaking Japanese all the time. And at the same time, trying to further their careers. They're all young, like 20 to to 30-year-olds. And it's fucking good. Actually, that NBA player, Rui Hamichura. Yeah. Is that how you say his name? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, the young, he, uh, young player on... Um, is he on the Wizards? On Washington. Yeah, yeah, Washington. Yeah. Did I say his name right? Yeah, yeah. He was... A, I think he's Japanese or something, or grew up in Japan. Mm-hmm played out there he they have this whole panel during the show that they cut away from the house and just talk about shit with and they're all really funny he was a guest host for like a few episodes speaking of um asian basketball players msg has been running insanity oh yeah we'll just segue back into the knicks here i heard that i've I've seen people tweeting about that yeah I, i turned it on i don't know if it was last night or the night before and it was the end of the game like that first big game that he had where he had career highs in everything across the board. So it was like 23 points. So they interviewed him on the court and he's like, yeah, you know, I just want the team to do well. You know, very humble, of course. So right after that, they went to the second game of that stretch. And in the pregame, Mike Breen and Walt Clyde were talking about how he got this, he's getting the start from Mike D'Antoni. You know, Mike D'Antoni thinks it's going to put him at ease. He's not going to have all this pressure when he comes into the game. And they said, obviously, he's not going to repeat what he did the night before. They just want him to hold, the, hold his own. Like, who knew that he was going to go on, like, this crazy stretch that he did, you know, which is really amazing to go back, even though it was short-lived in, in you know, the long scheme of things. What he, what he did, you know, was amazing. It was so much fun, those two weeks of insanity in that season. It's one of my fondest memories of the Knicks, you know, in the past yeah. several years. I mean, I remember, I've said this on the show before, but that was when I was living in the city at the time. Cablevision was threatening to, like... Or Time Warner, I think maybe, was threatening to remove MSG because of some sort of contract dispute with MSG networks. And so MSG was taken off of cable channels for like all of Manhattan during the Knicks season. And it was during all of Linsanity. Um, so I remember as a diehard Knicks fan, during a time where the Knicks were all of a sudden playing well and this this fucking Asian kid from Harvard was lighting it up that all the Knicks fans were going wherever they could to watch these games. I remember going to restaurants and having dinner just so I could watch watch Linsanity and the Knicks and the whole fucking bar was going crazy and everyone's walking around in Jeremy Lin jerseys. Yeah, it seemed like it, it went so into fun. Linsanity in like two games. Like two games in, you know, you saw the signs up had, everywhere like, in the he garden. Had, it was it was unbelievable. I remember a game against in Toronto that he hit a buzzer beater to win oh, the game, yeah, or that three really late from deep. I mean, I know it was a long time ago, but I mean, it, it's good to look back at this because yeah, we have such fond memories of it, and the fact that MSG is playing it. I mean, you look back at this. So that that first game where he kind of lit it up, he had twenty five points and seven assists. The next game where he got the start was twenty eight and eight. Then he had twenty three and ten. Then he had thirty eight and seven. 20 and 8, 27 and 11. Then he had 10 points, but he had 13 assists that game. 26 Dude. points. Next game, 28 and 14. It was crazy. Well, I fucking thought he was going to be like the next Steve Nash. It, oh, my God. He was and it was something out of his that mind. Knicks fans like, always dream about. I've always, I always dream about a point guard who can put the ball in and fucking rack up assists and isn't selfish. You know, And he was doing it all, dude. Yeah. My dream is a player that can score like 20 points and, and dish out. 10 11 assists yeah and then and then he wasn't on the team the next year <laughs> just like oh, that well fucking carmelo hated him he hated yeah. the whole thing <laughs> fucking sick i mean let's face it in the end it's not like he became a great nba player right so i'm sure that we made you know we made the right choice as much as we all loved him 
yeah. signing to any deal after that was not going to work out in our favor. He never turned into much of anything. Right. I don't even think he's in the league right now. No, he went to China. I mean, he had that that. I mean, it wasn't a breakdown, but it was an emotional speech that he had. You know, when he basically came to the realization that he was going to have to leave the NBA right. and go to uh, overseas to play. Played for a bunch of teams in the NBA first, and then he had like seven different hairstyles. <laughs> That's right. Right, even fucking dreadlocks, and then he ended up in, Ch- in back in China, just crazy. Yeah. All right, well, let's talk about Leon Rose. His first move, you know, I think we were all excited when Leon came in and we thought he was going to you know, hire a GM, hire a new coach, whatever. The first highly publicized move was hiring a fucking cap guru. Right, Brock Oller. Brock Oller, right, who's supposedly brilliant with maneuvering uh, money in the cap and was involved in, he was with Cleveland, right, and helped LeBron gather players to come to him, right, and create that team and... Um, really smart. Like I don't know that much about Brock Aller, 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 uh, but Aller, um, <laughs> all of the above, <laughs> Aller the above. And it's not something like name me one fucking podcaster, blogger, beat writer, fan, whoever at any point said like, "Hey, the Knicks need a fucking cap guru," or I think his title is VP of Strategy. Or something like that, right? Or, or president of strategy, or I don't know, something like that, um, right? But he, the thing is, like, he's one of the few guys, though, that was always mentioned in the articles, like revolving any of those trades or deals that they were able to make. It wasn't just the GM or just the president; he was always linked to it. Which, so you know, that he had a big part of it, and and it is a big. Uh, a big spot in those front offices, and the, the Knicks are lucky to get a guy like that. You know, again, Leon Rose, this is his first time in this type of position. He needs guys with experience like Brock Aller. You know, but who was our him. guy? Who was our guy, cap guru before Brock Aller? Well, that's the whole thing. I don't know if they had one. Right. So this in itself, this in itself is is way more massive than I think we realize because we've had Phil Jackson, fucking. Steve Mills, Scott Perry, whoever the fuck we've had. And they didn't even think of bringing in a cap guy. Right. <laughs> right. And a lot of times, like, you know, if you're like, this is what this guy does. And, you know, if you're a GM and, and you think you know how to put a team together, there are some names or some gets that you just think are ungettable just because the dollars don't make sense to you. Well, this is a guy that's going to be able to make them make sense. He's going to turn the impossible into something that's possible. We've basically had GMs just going onto NBA trade machine, probably, <laughs> right, <laughs> and seeing what fucking works, right? We're hiring a guy who fucking does it's his fucking job. Leon Rose and him are gonna fucking think and brainstorm whatever the. Fu- I just feel like we're in way better hands, even with just that move. Even if they don't do anything else, <laughs> we're in better hands than we were. Yeah. So that there. So when he got hired, everyone started talking about all right, why. Are they going to try to maneuver their way into getting one of these quote-unquote disgruntled stars, right? Like Donovan Mitchell, Carl Anthony Towns, Zach Levine, Levine. It's been so long we've played since we, the NBA's played. I don't know how to pronounce anyone's name. Oh, Craig. Zach Levine. What do you want from me? All right. We did this last fucking, the last show, turning into Walt. <laughs> So you think there's anything to that? Do you want to go that route? 
Do you, I mean, do you want to stick with the rebuild and drafting guys? Would you be willing to give up half of our young guys and, and multiple draft picks to take on one of these guys? Are they that attractive to you, these players? Do you have a preference? I'm Some just going to fire I mean, I, questions to you. Yeah. <laughs> so it's so obviously some of these players I like, but it's all going to come down to the type of deal that the, not the type of deal so much that they get, but the type of deals that are given around them, because obviously we don't, we don't want to stranglehold ourselves. And I don't think we would if we got one of these guys. And yes, I do like a Zach Levine. Um, Levine I think yeah. <laughs> sure. I think he's still got growth. I do. Um, I know he's already been in the league, you know, a few years, but I think that he is developing that shot. Not afraid um, of the injury history. No, with him, I'm not. I think he is, you know, you you have some of these guys that are athletic enough and they have bodies that heal and bounce back. And I think he's one of those. It doesn't, that doesn't scare me. Um, I've already talked about how I like Donovan Mitchell, but I think that's, you know, the probably one of the further things from reality. I don't think Utah's um, going to go in a direction steering away from him, you know, unless it was something where he was demanding to, to get it uh, dealt out of there. Um, that's the only you know way I can see that happening. It's going to be him forcing his hand rather than Utah saying they want to go a different way. Um, you know, I don't love Towns. A lot of people do. I don't. Um, a lot of people don't as well. Yeah, he's a pain in the ass. Yeah, he is. He is. Of all those three, of those three guys, I think there was one other that was named. I can't recall. Do you know? Not so much disgruntled, but. Uh, I mean, other names that you've been hearing of late are like guys like Chris Paul, who you know, guys who are towards the end of their career that are maybe just looking for a landing spot. I mean, that, that's he's entirely realistic. Honestly, we're not going to have to trade. They're going right. to have to give us shit to take on Chris Paul's that's contract, right. pretty much, which is makes it somewhat attractive. Yeah, yeah. I like Mitchell, but I'm not enamored with Towns or Levine. Or, I'm not even enamored with Mitchell, but I would be more than happy to trade quite a bunch of assets for him. Mm-hmm. Um, just to fast track us a little bit and to get a proven young star. Right. I mean, everybody loves the fact that we have, you know, seven first round picks, you know, coming up over the next few years. But th- part of what makes that so valuable is the fact that, yes, you can trade them to get something that's already proven. There's no, mm-hmm. there's no shame in doing that. There's no harm in doing that. And you have a better chance of being successful doing that than taking your chances with seven different guys. You know, there's going to be a lot of drafts in front of us where the talent pool isn't so great. And that automatically pulls the value of these first round picks down. Listen, it's the only reason to hold on to all the assets we have been and to keep, and to not just that, but keep acquiring draft picks like they did with the Clippers with whatever it is, seven first round picks in the next four years or something like that. Yeah. Right. Um, I mean, the only reason you have that many is so you can trade them because they all those picks values all the, it's all their value is before you actually make the pick and end up with you know the, the, a not great player, which is more than likely. But I just don't want them to jump at any of these guys immediately because you never know who might become available during next season. You know, like could you hold out and maybe have a shot at like Damian Lillard or or you know let's see who we draft if we don't end up with a great point guard is there a point guard that becomes available like Lill- I mean I would L- Lillard's one of those guys that um I would oh, hold he, out for because I feel like he's he's, in, he's, he's great but he always seems like there's something there always seems like he could end up wanting out of Portland or it not working out you know yes um 
he's great. So I just wouldn't jump. None of these guys I would jump at, and I I wouldn't overpay for Mitchell. You know, I would overpay for Lillard. Yeah, a lot. Did you see that story that um that Mark Berman wrote about Scott Perry, the Scott Perry and Frank Nilakina thing, and how Scott Perry, you know, he didn't draft Frank. Obviously, Phil did, but Perry's never been a fan of him, and has been a fan of. All these other point guards he's drafted over the you know recent years, and that's why he's brought some of them in. Uh, but he's always looking beyond Frank because he doesn't like Frank's game. That's another one of those stories. I think that you know Berman, you know, writing that article. I think you know he made a lot of inferences, and it's not necessarily you know factual or you know stuff that he actually heard people say. I think he's just connecting the dots, like anybody would do it doesn't necessarily mean that perry's not right behind so, frank or a frank supporter just because he didn't draft him and it wasn't his guy and he went in another direction well he's like you said he's putting the puzzle pieces together i mean it's obvious that he's not right perry's brought in so many point guards and given time to so many point guards before frank it's if you don't see that you're a fucking moron <laughs> you know i mean jarrett jack trey burke Dennis Smith Jr., Alfred Payton, all these point guards that right when they come in, they they supplant Frank Nilakina, lottery pick by Phil Jackson right before Perry got here, and not any single one of these guys have fucking worked out. But the most interesting thing, not interesting, but that's not that's not the part of the article that's news. The only thing I thought was interesting was how he spoke about Leon Rose and his relationship with Frank and about how it's actually good. And he was frank's agent before frank went with like a french agent and to just have someone closer to home for him and he's really close with frank and he's really close with the nilakina family and the gist of what berman was saying there was that leon's not going to be actively shopping or maybe even looking to trade frank at all based on his relationship where before it seems like the knicks probably were so as as a frank stan most of the time. I'm like, uh, I'm in love with Frank 80% of the time, and he drives me nuts 20. That gets me excited, because that means maybe he's going to fucking play next year. Part of you doesn't think to yourself, well, maybe Leon Rose doesn't like Frank, because Frank kicked him to the curb and went with another, with different representation. No. And now this is Leon Rose's chance to say, oh, yeah? Well, now I'm going to kick you out to the curb. And no, I'm- because Leon Rose is bigger than that, and he's a bus- he understands this is a business. The agents understand this is a business. And really, how could you fucking... You think anyone could hate on Frank like that? That sweet French boy? <laughs> with, the, with, the, with the bleach blonde tips and great fashion sense? Softly spoken? Hard worker? Little Frank? Constant groin issues? I mean, you can't hate on him. There's no way he thinks that. There's no way. Okay. I think, if anything, he has a, a great appreciation for him. If he's close with his family, he was there when he first came into the NBA. There's no way Frank was, like, all business when he was firing Leon Rose and was like, you know, it's Frank. He just wanted a French agent. <laughs> you know, it's not like he thought Leon was failing him. Right. I, I think that Leon is bigger than that. He's these agents know how to keep relationships and aren't going to burn any bridges because that would just be bad. Right. There's no way. I don't know if you were being serious right. it, about it. Right. That. And it's not like Luka Doncic, uh, you know, firing you. This is Frank Nilakina. How much money is he bringing in? 
you know, to the table? What kind of percentage are you getting for, off of him? Even if even if it was, you, they understand it's a business, and there there's reasons you do things. Frank is such a fucking soft kid. He's probably fucking crying when it happens. You know, <laughs> the hell knows. <laughs> So what do you think is going to go on with the rest of the NBA season here? There's uh, the NBA has said that they're going to start opening up, you know, um, practice facilities in some in some cities for the teams. I know, obviously, that's only for cities that are doing well during this whole coronavirus thing. And as you're scratching your head right now, I forgot to talk to you about it. You ha- your hair is crazy. What do you mean you haven't cr- gotten it. You, you can't get a crazy. haircut. So you've got this is like the longest hair I've ever seen you with. And it's like parted to the side. I stopped using product in it. Is that what's going on? Yeah, you know, it's usually, not just use that some gel. You can't get a haircut, and I can't get a haircut. So I I, I stopped using gel because it's gotten really long, and now yeah, it's, I just go au natural. All right, sorry, sorry for the break there. <laughs> <laughs> so um, yeah, so I I and I heard the Lakers today actually are asking the L A the governor of L A to get them to be able to open up their practice facilities so they can practice because a lot of teams think that they're going to be at a disadvantage if their city is still right. suffering and you know some teams like I'm just going to say a, a city here now and I don't know what the deal is there but maybe Memphis or or just some team Atlanta? in the middle of America Atlanta well Atlanta's not fucking in the playoffs I don't even know if Memphis oh, right. is <laughs> yeah, yeah I think they were I think they were sitting in the uh, eighth spot if I remember correctly but yeah, those teams that are going to be able to practice, open up their practice facilities are going to be at an advantage over the uh, teams like the Lakers, you know, who really want a chance to go for that championship. I think that's going to be great, you know. <laughs> I mean, come on. The Lakers are bitching. They've got fucking LeBron and Anthony Davis. Is that not an unfair advantage to the rest Stop. of the league? Stop. So what do you think is going to go down here? You think the NBA is coming back? It seems like all the leagues are. Yeah, I mean, I think I came to... S- realization before was like what's realistic to me and what would make sense is if they can get some type of games being started you know by june 1st you know and and that that even that's unlikely it's just i hate going past that because it's just going to throw everything else off you know the, the further we get into the summer past that it's interesting i read i i heard something about how the knicks have played 66 games have you heard this i've heard that they played 66 games yeah rumor about like lottery standings and how this is going to work that if the if the nba did not come back with a regular season that they would basically end this i heard they could end the season at 63 games and the last three games the knicks played wouldn't count because like the lowest team in the league the team who has the fewest games playing in the league is at 63 hmm. and so it's only fair that you know games if you if you won 64 through 66 or lost those extra games that drops you in the standings and and changes your lottery position. So they would just stop the season at 63. And the Knicks, like, won a couple of those games or something. So yeah, their lottery sta- their lottery position would, like, shoot up. Wow. If that happened. I mean, that's good for the Knicks, but it's kind of fucked up. How is it fucked up? I mean... it's so arbitrary. I understand 63 games, but, like, to stop it there, like, some people had harder schedules or easier schedules, like, towards the beginning of the season, the end of the season. Well, that, yeah, but there's nothing you can do about that. But you, how can you end a season with one team having played 67 games and another has 63? 
mm-hmm. um, and have them, you know, uh, that's you're hard still to do. Go, I, because you're still going but, off of their winning percentage. So I really don't have an issue with that. But, you know, there's a lot of bunch of smarter people than me that are making these decisions in the NBA. Yeah, the Knicks won two of their final three games. If they wiped out three games, they would be 19 and 45. And I read that they would be tied for third in the lottery, which is fucking way better than six where they're at right now. Yeah, yeah, yeah. you want to be in that bottom three. Absolutely. Because here's the other reason that you can't just go by winning percentage, Barry, because if you, let's say there's two teams that were 30 and 30, and then one of those teams had two wins because they had two games, and then the other team didn't have any games. Uh, the team that had the two games additional gets in, even if they just had one, uh, like one win, because their winning percentage is going to be higher, only because they played more games. All right, fucking beautiful mind over there. Did I convince you again this week? Yeah, yeah. yeah. Atlanta has played sixty-seven games, so their four games would be wiped out. Right now, they're at twenty and forty-seven. They're the fourth seed. We're the sixth at twenty-one and forty-five. If you wipe out Atlanta's final four games, they had three losses in four games and one win. So they're at 19 and 44. So they'd be tied with us. So we just like instantly jump up like four spots. Hmm. So that's, I mean, that is something to hope for, you know, something to root for that the NBA regular season does not come back and they just go straight to the fucking playoffs. I'm just going to root for a high lottery pick. Not, I'm not gonna you could do that too. Let's do, do it. Let's see what happens. Right now, we're going to sim the lottery. It's a difference. If I'm, I'm rooting for better chances, or if I just root for the fucking better pick. What do you mean? You're just rooting for that they, with the lottery, they end up in higher pick. I don't care if they have a. a it doesn't matter if they have a five percent chance to get the number one pick or a thirty percent chance to get the number mm. one pick. If they get the number one pick, that's all that matters, right? So I might as well just root for that if I'm going to root. We're going to sim the lottery right now in Tankathon. We do this every week, and every week we, we get worse than the sixth, and we end up taking uh, that guy. Onyeka Okongwu. Okay. Onyeka Okongwu. You wrote on your board, I see. <laughs> I sim the lottery. I got, I got like a draft board up here. We got the eighth pick, and I'm going to go over to the mock draft right now. The eighth pick, uh, according to Tankathon, is Onyeka Okongwu. <laughs> Sorry, this is honestly, this is not the same show you all heard la- last time. I swear to God. You always say it, and I'm always laughing because I can't believe it. Because you always say it, like, so so matter-of-factly. It, it sounds like I'm saying it like I'm not even doing it, but I'm fucking doing it. And we end up with the same exact shit every week. And his first name are the letters N-Y-K. Yes. Can you hold on a second? What's wrong? I gotta get my plug. Is your computer about to die? It's Yeah, it's slow. This is what I'm dealing with, people. Barry can't hear any of this. Now he's running to find a plug. If this, if his screen goes black right now and we lose this recording, I don't know what I'm gonna do. Barry, get back here if you can hear me. Running all over his house right now looking for the plug. Yeah, I could hear you. I, could, I was able to hear you. Worrying more about the pop tarts in the kitchen than fucking making sure his computer's charged. He, he, <laughs> he's scrambling now, nervous. If you don't get this in, we're going to lose the whole thing. You know that. You know what percentage it's at? Eight. Seven. And how long have you been seeing this go down? The whole show? It. I mean, it just turned red. It wasn't red before. And I didn't have it showing my percentage before. All right, while Barry plugs in his computer, it's a hard Nick's life. But for this ad, we like to say it's a crummy Nick's life. 
Using a family recipe born in 1950s Brooklyn and perfected on the east end of Long Island, Clarkson Avenue Crumb Cake Company promises to deliver you the finest and most delicious crumb cakes on the market. Flavors like classic crumb, blackout, salted caramel, and Brooklyn Joe, your taste buds will thank you. They're available in two sizes. Not right now. When everything returns to normal, they'll be available online. The classic 8x8-inch size cakes or the world-famous crumpkins, which are essentially crumb cakes in mini-muffin form. Take a trip down Clarkson Avenue and crumb get some. Visit ClarksonAveCrumb.com. Use promo code HARDEXLIFE for 23% off your order. Barry, you're all yeah. back to normal? Yeah. Still recording? Yeah. Yep. Great. All right. If you want to reach out to us, it's HARDEXLIFE at gmail.com. We actually thank you to Derek Milligan. Our Scottish fan, he sent in, we're going to use it next time. He sent a little game in for us to play. I just didn't have time to even deal with it, so he sent in some clips. I think it's like a trivia game that I haven't listened to. I'm supposed to listen for the first time live with you, Barry, and we're going to try and answer the questions. All right. Next time we'll do that. Give them the motherfucking digits, Barry. You could call us at 516-33-MESH-1. Drop a question, comment, whatever. Anytime, go straight to voicemail. If you like our show, leave some reviews. We got we got some reviews and we got some ratings since we begged that last time, dude. Which is That's great. True. So, thank you to everyone who did that. Um, whenever we beg, we get it. So we're obviously really good at it. And every fucking show we do, by the way, I kick myself after that I should have said this at the beginning. I know. I think the same thing. Every so fucking show. After last one, I said I swear I'm gonna fucking do it at the beginning. alright guys until next time it is a hard Nick's life thank you for listening to Believe you can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a 5 star rating on your preferred platform check us out at Believe.com and search for B-L-E-A-V on YouTube